The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, good morning. Happy New Year. I, maybe it's just a new year, but you sound better. You just sound so good. You look so good. Not that you didn't look bad before, but yeah, I mean, just happy New Year. You sound so good. The 1130, my favorite service, God's favorite service. We won't tell the 10 a.m. service, but I'm glad that you are here. By the way, if you're here for the first time, man, it's a real honor that you spend an hour with us. My name is Matt, and I want to teach this morning on one of the questions that you guys have submitted. We are in a series, week number two, called You Ask For It. And we just said, you know what? You guys drive the content for the next four weeks. And so one of the things that I love about this is that one, we get to hear your heart, the questions you're asking, but two, um, you ask some great questions and you're going to help us shape not only this series, but a series to come or multiple series to come because some of you are asking the same questions. And so I'm excited today. We're going to tackle um, the auditorium gets quiet when you mention this. We're going to tackle suffering today. We're going to tackle pain, and we're going to tackle grief. And it's difficult, but I believe it's going to be encouraging to you today. Now, last week I preached in Georgia, and it was 32 degrees and rainy and overcast, and it was awesome. But you know what? It's 80 degrees today, and the sun shining out here is good to be from Southern California. You know what I'm saying? Let me pray for us, and we're going to jump into the scriptures, all right? Jesus, thank you for today. We don't take it for granted. It's never happened before. It will never happen again. And so, God, would you speak to our hearts? God, uh, equip our ears to hear the words that you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Some of you know, um, if you've been around here for just a minute, uh, some of you may know, uh, oftentimes I'm not from here, I'm from Atlanta, but a lot of times I will get the question, where are you from? Sometimes you're like, you don't sound like Los Angeles, like where are you from? And uh, where is your family from? And I'm like, well, I'm from the East Coast, but I, I don't have a lot of, I only really have two family members left, it's my mom and my sister because everybody is gone. All my grandparents are gone, my dad died when I was 21 years old, and I was a junior in college. And so some of you guys know that story. When I was 21, I was playing volleyball um, on the first Friday of uh, classes at Clemson University, and I got a phone call, and it said, hey, dad's sick. Um, You might want to call mom. I called mom, and she said, yeah, dad is sick. My dad was never sick. He was a healthy man. He occasionally took Advil, but that was it. He never went to the doctor. So when mom said, yeah, dad's sick, he's actually at the hospital now, I knew it was serious. So I hung up the phone. I called back like 10, 15 minutes later. I said, Mom, I'm coming home. And I drove directly to the hospital. And when I got into the hospital, I could see down the hallway. And there were friends and family members. I could tell they'd been crying. And when I got closer, I could tell this does not look good. And when I got into the room, my mom was there. Our family doctor was there. My dad was there. And our family doctor said, Matt, Um, she called me Matthew. Matthew, your dad has cancer and he doesn't have a long time to live. How long? He probably has two months to live. And so at that point in my life, I had never encountered difficulty and suffering and pain, just quite honestly. Um, I had a dog that got run over and lost one leg and eventually died. Uh, that, That was the extent of suffering in my life. 
And so I didn't go back to Clemson that semester. I stayed with my dad in the hospital for the majority of the fall. He came out near the end, near Christmas, and he said, I implore you. I'm begging you. I'm not even asking. I'm telling you, go back to school. And so I went back to school, and a few weeks into the semester, he went back into the hospital, and I came home every um, weekend, and I spent every weekend in the hospital with him until April 99. I stood by his bedside, and I was holding one of his hands, and he passed into eternity. And I, I still can remember, um, I can still remember the days following that, that, that. Um, it was literally every night for, I don't know, months. Every night I would wake up and I would be overwhelmed, overcome with grief. I couldn't explain it. I didn't know what the emotion was. I just knew I need to weep and I need to cry and I have an incredible sense of loss right now. And every day turned into a couple times a week, a couple times a week turned into once a month, once a month turned into once every three months, once every three months turned into about once every six months. At this point, I'm literally several years um, after my dad passing. I'm now a student in seminary. I've got a roommate, <clears throat> not married at the point, at that time, bunk beds. And I could not explain it, but about once every six months, I'd wake up at 2 a.m., and I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just, I'm beginning to weep and I cannot explain it. And I'm in a bunk bed, so I don't want to wake up my, my roommate. So I literally would get out of my bed and I would walk into our tiny living room and I would lay on the couch and I would, I would, I would just weep. I would weep and I couldn't explain it. And I know now I, it was grief. It was suffering. It was pain that I was experiencing. I know, I know some of you guys may currently be walking through something similar, some grief, some pain, some suffering. I know in an auditorium over two services with probably 250, 300 people, I, I'm well aware that there is a significant number of people who are currently in the process of walking through grief. And some of your grief makes my grief look like, like the minor leagues. Like Some of you have walked through major league grief. Some of you have been abused for years the hands of people, and, and, and physically, emotionally, sexually abused. And, you know, I'm, I believe there's probably some people in here that, that they've walked through it alone and nobody else even knows. Uh, some of you have walked through intense suffering and grief because you have literally, in this service and the last, I know it, I've seen some of your faces this morning, I know your story, you have friends and family members who have literally been cold-blooded killed, murdered. You've walked through intense grief and suffering in your life. And, and then there's some of us in this room who have made some choices along the way, and it feels like the consequences of those choices are, are continuing to follow you. You're suffering because of some choices you made. You know, in, in California today, today, um, there are family members and friends who are suffering because 17 people lost their lives because it rained. It rained in California. Suffering is a common experience. We all know it. We know it when we experience it. But what does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible, how does the Bible instruct us in the area of grief and suffering? That's a question I want to answer today that some of you guys have submitted to us. And I believe the idea of suffering and pain is applicable to everybody, universally across the board. And here's what I believe. Mental pain is much more difficult than physical pain because when we're physically hurt, we can say, ouch, somebody stepped on my toe. But when nobody knows it and we're wrestling through mental pain, like that's much more difficult. And I'm confident today, some of you guys are wrestling through it. So what does the scripture 
say about suffering. I, I want to begin today in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. By the way, Helen Keller once said, just to launch us into, Helen Keller once said, the world is full of suffering. Just an experience that we all know. And the Bible very clearly gives us an understanding of this idea of suffering. Now, this is a 30-minute message today, 25 if you're lucky, okay? And, um, and, and we can't be exhaustive today. We can only like hit the tip of the spear here. Like, like, like this is as far as we can go, but I hope by the end, I'm going to give you some resources and some help and uh, help you walk beyond this moment together, okay? And so what I hope to do is I want to read a passage today, and then I, w- I just want to identify some of the places where suffering comes from. And and then by the end of the message today, I just want to give you one, just one little idea, one little, one little promise for why we, how we can understand pain and suffering, how we can understand what the purpose is of the suffering that we're walking through. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, a guy named Paul is the author. Paul was a great missionary. Um, he's legendary in the Bible. He wrote many letters in the New Testament. He's just revered. He wasn't revered at the time. He died a horrible death and dogs ate his body. But now we know Paul to be a very influential person and we're gonna learn from him today. And this is what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. A lot of comforts there. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and your salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, (laughs) which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Verse 7 says this, and our hope for you is firmly grounded knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Now, listen to what verse 8 says. And every time I read this one verse, it strikes me deeply. Listen to what Paul said. A man that we revere, 2,000 years of Christianity have revered this man for his integrity, his courage, his stand for Jesus, his missionary journeys. This is what Paul said. He said, for we don't want you to be unaware. He's writing a letter to a church in a city called Corinth. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. In other words, he's saying, I know that when you see me, you just think the ministry guy stands on the stage, everybody high fives him, he gets more likes on social media. Like like the guy in ministry, like we see the glamorous parts, the paparazzi parts, like we see that part of you. But Paul's saying, look, I know that's the part you see, but I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be unassuming, he says, because of our affliction that came to us in Asia. What about it? That we were burdened excessively. That we were, it was so difficult that it was beyond our strength. So much so that we despaired even of life. Greatest missionary who ever lived. So I need you to know. I've walked through some difficult times, so difficult that I didn't think I could go on. I think any serious believer, any serious Christian, anybody who's serious about their walk with Christ, at some point in time, they have said, God, what are you doing with me now? Don't you think Paul said that? 
Like if anybody had the license to say such a thing back to God, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing? It would be Paul, right? Like, Paul, like hey, God, um, you know, like, like I'm with you here. Like, like I, I'm working, I'm on your team. I'm your most loyal teammate, right? Like I'm working for your dream and your mission, but I gotta be honest with you, God. Like it seems harder now than it did before I was even following you, God. I mean, can, can we get, like, like can it get a little bit easier, God? Like any serious Christian has, has said that. And I think it's rooted in, in, in a philosophy of life that existed 300 years before Paul, and it's existed for 2,300 years now. It was rooted in this Epicurean idea and philosophy of life that said pleasure is the ultimate goal of life, and the ultimate pleasure in life is the absence of pain and suffering. I think a lot of times in our culture around the world, it's not unique to Western culture, I think a lot of times we just think, I should not suffer my life should be one constant experience of pleasure and joy. I should not suffer. So God, what are you doing with me here? Why is this happening? And this philosopher, Epicurus, came up with this idea of life. Like, like you should seek after pleasure. <clears throat> you should seek after joy. And the ultimate experience of it is a life that has the absence of pain and suffering. But you know what? Human existence, human history has proved otherwise. That it's not possible to live a life that where, where suffering is avoidable. In fact, human history tells us that suffering is inevitable, it's unavoidable, and by the way, the scripture will tell us it's indispensable. Suffering is a necessary journey that on this road that we call Life. Tim Keller says it like this. I'm going to give you this, this resource here at the end. But Tim Keller says this. No, no, he wrote a book. He's a pastor, and he wrote a book on suffering and pain. And a lot of what he wrote comes from another guy who he loves dearly called C.S. Lewis, who also wrote a book on pain called The Problem of Pain. This is what Tim Keller says. No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we've put together a good life, no matter how hard we've worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career. Tim Keller says, something will inevitably ruin it. That's the experience of life. Suffering is not avoidable. It's inevitable. And the scripture says it's 100% necessary. And so people on the outside, like from the secular point of view, the idea of suffering is unnecessary. It's not a vital part of human history, existence. And, and so from a secular point of view, we have a difficult time explaining why does suffering exist. In fact, Epicurus, Epicureanism, pleasure is the ultimate goal. The ultimate pleasure is the absence of pain and suffering. Epicurus launched us into this 2300-year debate. Like, like if God is a good God, if God can stop suffering and he doesn't stop suffering, then he's spiteful. If God can't stop suffering and suffering happens, then God is just weak. And so even a man who sought pleasure and, and sought to teach others that this is the ultimate goal of life, he couldn't explain why suffering exists. So does the Bible explain for us? So what does the Bible explain to us about this idea? Here's the beautiful thing. If you take the Bible from beginning to end, you have this idea that the Bible explains all of life. It has a coherent explanation for why we exist, where we're going, and what our purpose is. And so 
to understand suffering, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning into this Garden of Eden experience, this Garden of Eden episode. Now, if you don't go to church or if you haven't been around church in a long time, you're familiar with the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, you, you understand a little bit of the story. And so in essence, what happened in the Garden of Eden, by the way, a place that we call paradise. Eden actually means paradise. I know that. That's what my daughter's name is. We named her Eden because it means paradise. Eden was a place of perfect harmony. It was a place of perfect unity. Everything was good. Now, we can only use our creative imagination to try to understand what that episode, that experience, that point in time was like because we don't live in the Garden of Eden. Nobody since Adam and Eve have lived in that experience but in essence, what happened was there was perfect unity between God and man, between man and man. There was no disunity. There was no division. There was no rift. There was no fussing. There was no gossip. There was no backbiting. There was perfect unity between me and you. There was perfect unity between me and God. There was perfect unity between creation and man. Like you could walk with the lions and you didn't have to be afraid they would eat you, right? Like, like you, they, you, you could walk among the animals and they could not be afraid that you were going to kill them. Like there was perfect unity between creation and man. There were no thunderstorms. There were no... There, there there were no tornadoes. There were no earthquakes. There were no mudslides. Like, it was perfect. It was paradise. But Adam and Eve decided, God, this is good and all, but we actually have a better idea of how this should go. And Adam and Eve decided, this is actually not the way we want to go. So God, we, we're just going to choose to do a few things our own way. And that seems a little bit innocent. That seems a, a little bit inconspicuous. But in the reality is, what happened in that moment when Adam and Eve said, I'm, we're going to choose to do things differently, what happened was there was this cataclysmic event where everything changed. Now Adam and Eve were ashamed. Was, the, the scripture says that they put on fig leaves because they knew um, they, they were naked. They didn't know they were naked before. And now all of a sudden, shame. Like, you don't want to see somebody naked. Like, like, like they understood that. Now, now there's disunity between them. Now there's disunity between God. Now, now all of creation is thrown out of, out of whack. It's out of balance. And so in order to understand suffering, it's all rooted in this experience, in this episode, in the Garden of Eden. And every category of suffering we can talk about today is rooted in that episode. It all goes back to the Garden of Eden when everything got thrown out of whack. So here's what I want to do. I, I just want to try to identify four basic categories that I think Scripture can tell us. If you're walking through suffering today, you're walking through suffering probably in one of these four categories. And then after I tell you what that category is, I want to actually let you see Scripture and how Scripture describes why this suffering is, exists and where it came from and what the Scripture says about it. So the first one is this. Suffering exists. Uh, the, the first category of suffering is this. Suffering that's inflicted on us because of evil or because of natural causes. I think this is probably the makes the most sense to us, especially in a victim culture where it was never my fault. It was somebody else's fault. You did it to me and now you're going to pay. But in reality is there are real circumstances where people and evil will be inflicted on you. I have mentioned this story before, but I have a coworker from seminary. We worked together in seminary together. We worked together at the same church together, in the same youth ministry together. And that guy is now in federal prison today because he was caught at midnight in a park with a seventh grade boy who he was supposed to be mentoring, and he had his pants down. 
And when the story came out, the reality was it wasn't just him. It was six other, it was seven total boys that this guy had the responsibility to mentor and disciple. I promise you, it's been eight, nine years now, 10 years now, those seven boys are still suffering. They're still walking through a difficult time of pain. And by the way, they may walk through that for the rest of their life. Suffering inflicted on us because of evil. What about suffering because of natural causes? Uh, um, I have, I have a, a friend who texted me on Christmas Eve, a pastor friend in Denver, and he said, please pray for me. I just got a text from uh, a couple in our church, and their five-month-old child has had multiple seizures, and they need to know whether or not they need to pull the plug because the doctor said there is no hope. How do you explain that? How do, you, how, do you, how do you explain, like, one, the child didn't ask for it. Two, where did it come from? Suffering inflicted on us because of evil and natural causes is all rooted in the garden. The cataclysmic event that changed the world in how the world operates and how the world works together. Now, there's any sort of tragic possibility in the world because of sin. Scripture says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. In other words, it doesn't work like it was intended to work. It's broken. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. For we know that the whole creation groans and it suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Some of you are suffering today because evil has been inflicted on you because of natural causes. 17 people lost their life today over California and who knows where else around the world. Family members are grieving the loss of someone who lost their life this past week because of a rain, because of a mudslide. How do you explain that? You explain it because in the garden, everything went haywire and now all sorts of hell and tragedy are possible. First category of suffering is that suffering that's inflicted on us because of evil and natural causes. The second category that scripture tells us is a potential is suffering that's inflicted on ourselves or by ourselves, that we self-inflict. Um, sometimes we inflict uh, suffering on ourselves. It's our own doing. And sin gets sticky and messy and then everybody else is involved and everybody else feels the pain because of our own choices. The reality is we, we can make choices and God can forgive, but the consequences may go on for a long time. We have friends that stayed with us about a month ago now. Uh, they came out for three or four days and, and they have seven kids. <laughs> you're like, in LA, you're like, you're crazy, okay? And, um, but they have seven kids. But here's the deal. Only four of them are their kids. Only four of them are their kids. They took three foster kids in and they eventually adopted them because it was a personal situation. Because the dad, the father had a sister who's been addicted to drugs for years and years and years and cannot and will not stop and has spent years and years and years in prison until the foster care system says, you are unfit because of what you keep doing to yourself. And so they took those kids in and they adopted them. Suffering that we inflict on ourselves. I have zero comprehension how that mom may feel about three kids that are not hers I have a feeling there's a part of her that doesn't really care. 
I also have another feeling that there are moments in time when she captures a glimpse of what life is really all about and she understands, I did this to myself. Sometimes we do it. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 begins to explain how this is possible. And the scripture says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. <laughs> For men, and by the way, ladies, you're not off the hook. This is humanity. For humanity will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. This is a great list here. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Sometimes suffering happens because we did it to ourselves. So we see suffering that happens because of evil inflicted on us, natural causes, suffering that happens because it's our own doing. And then there's a third category that we don't really talk about much in Western culture. It's not really brought up often because it's not a common experience for the most part. And that is suffering because of righteousness. Suffering because of godliness. In 2017, 2017 marked the third year in a row where um, global persecution of Christianity hit a record high. Open Doors, who catalogs and chronicles global persecution, um, said it was the worst year yet. And it's not just Islamic extremism, like we may be inclined to think that's happening in the Middle East, where Christians are losing their head, and all the things you're seeing on, on your timelines and your, and your news feeds but it's not just Islam, it's, it's, other th it's ethnic um, nationality, it's ethnic cleansing that's happening where Christians are being pushed out of countries that are not conducive to Christianity. Um, back this fall, earlier this fall, we had a missionary family who were friends of ours. They came and stayed with us. They were stateside for what's called a six-month furlough. And they stayed at our house. They, they they're a family of seven, and we're a family of five. <coughs> and I've got a nice house, but man, it was crowded. And so, uh, so they came in and stayed for a night. <clears throat> and and we can't even, I can't even tell you what country they come from. When, when, when missionaries from some of these countries that are being persecuted, when they come home, um, oftentimes for six months, if they're here six months, they'll spend five months every Sunday in a church somewhere. They're either preaching and sharing what God's doing in their country, or they'll be in the congregation and the pastor will say, hey, we have a missionary family here, and they can never say where they're from. They're from Southeast Asia. They can't name the country. Um, they can't even use their real names from stage. They don't use their real names in public. Whenever they email us, um, Whenever they email us and family members and friends when they're overseas and in Southeast Asia, they don't use words like, hey, I was praying to God that he would answer me about this. They have to say, I was talking to my daddy about this, circum about this certain circumstance. Why? Because global persecution is a real thing. People suffer globally for the name of Jesus. And by the way, as you could probably guess, North Korea has topped the countries that are most dangerous to live in as a Christian for 14 years in a row. Suffering is a reality for righteousness, but we don't talk about that often in Western Christianity. And, 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 I, and I believe, I, I want to generalize here just for a moment, um, but, but I, generally, I don't think it's because, um, I don't think it's because 
people don't hate Christians in the West. I don't think it's true. I, I, I think people genuinely hate Christians in the West. People hate Christians in your neighborhood. People hate Christians in our city. I don't think the reason why we don't experience persecution is because people don't hate. I think people do. I think part of the reason, I'm being general here, but I think one of the reasons we don't experience this sort of suffering is because, simply because people just don't know that we're even a Christian. And I don't mean that to shame you. But 2 Corinthians, I mean, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, For indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's suffering that's afflicted on us because of evil and natural causes, suffering that we inflict on ourselves, suffering for righteousness. Don't put it up yet, Bob. And then there's a final one that's sort of surprising. <laughs> He, he, he jumped, the, he didn't jump the gun. He was right on time, but I wanted to surprise him last night. I didn't get a chance to. So I'm going to surprise you. There, there's, a, there's another category that would, I think would totally shock most of us. And that category is this, suffering because we are chosen by God. What do you mean? Like, like, like that's, those are not two ideas that we... But that we typically collaborate together. Like, 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 like we, don't, we don't try to collab on like, like, I'm chosen by God and God chose me to suffer. Like typically, I'm chosen by God and God chose me to prosper. Like, like those, that's preferable. It's not preferable to think that God may have chosen me as his child, but he also may have chosen me to suffer. And so, and so that's a description of, of what happens to this guy named Paul that we read about in 2 Corinthians here. So before Paul ever became this Jesus-loving maniac, like telling everybody, Paul had a past. He had a history, and that history included him persecuting Christians. In fact, Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 7 tells us that he was involved in the stoning of the first Christian martyr. Paul was a guy whose name was he, Paul was a guy who was known for persecuting Christianity, and yet he has this transformational experience. And in this transformational experience, this is what God says about Paul: "Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, and I will show him. Listen to me: I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name." Not many of us would say, "Yeah, sign me up for that." Not many of us would put our names on the dotted line for that. And yet, of anybody that could look at God and say, God, what are you doing here? Because I'm with you. I'm on your mission. I'm on your team. I'm working your dream, God. Could it get a little bit easier? Of all the people that had a pendulum to look to God and say, God, what are you doing? Paul was hand-selected by God to suffer. Chosen by God. God for it. And listen to this. Not because Paul did something wrong. Not because Satan was angry at him. Not because God was after him. Because God chose Paul to suffer. Now listen. I, I, some of you this morning, you're like, Pastor, this is, this is where I am. I'm walking through this. I've been, I heard in the lobby afterwards, I've been walking through this for years. And I don't want to downplay that. I, I don't want to wave the pixie dust wand and be like, I got one statement for you and it's going to change your life. So let's be real just for a moment. What was the purpose? 
What was, what was the purpose? Like, if you don't see yourself in, in, in one of those first three categories, it could be possible that God's chosen you to suffer. But why? What is the purpose of God choosing me to suffer? What is the goal? And please hear me. I'm not trying to wave like the magic one-sentence statement that you walk home with. You're like, whoo, 10 years of this, and now I'm free. Like, like that's not reality. The reality is, and I told someone in the lobby earlier, you may walk with this for the rest of your life. But what's the purpose? What's the point? A.W. Tozer said this. I love this quote. It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly or a woman until he has hurt him deeply. God is preparing Paul through his suffering. God's preparing Paul through his suffering. But what is he preparing him for? Through suffering, listen to me, God's preparing you. Maybe in this auditorium, through suffering, God's preparing you today. But what is he preparing you for? Listen to me. He's preparing you primarily for himself. You're like, Pastor, that doesn't help. I'm hoping for some tips and tricks. I don't want to downplay what you're walking through today. Reality is, there's some help that some of you need to get that goes way beyond anything a 25 to 30 minute message could ever deliver to you. But listen to me, I can promise you, I can say with confidence, the scripture will tell you one of the primary goals of God developing you is your pain. It's for you to get God himself. Now listen to me, if you've been around church, we love to quote Romans 8, 28. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? If you know what I'm talking about. For God works together for the good, right? God works together. Listen, you, you know the quote. For God causes all things to work together for the good, right? And we just love that. Like, we'll throw it out there like, like, like lottery cash. Let's get some for everybody, right? Like, like boom, you're walking through. God works together for the good. But the second half of that verse says, of those who love him. You're like, boom, let's throw it out. God works together for the good. Well, yes, he does. And oftentimes that's how it happens. At best though, scripture would tell us that's reserved for believers. Secondly, it doesn't always happen that way. There's not always a silver lining at the end of the suffering. Sometimes the process is that God is bringing you through this not for you to lose it all and then become a billionaire like Dave Ramsey. That may not be how it happens. <clears throat> but the process may be intended for you to get to the place where you trust and treasure Jesus above everything. He's preparing you for himself. C.S. Lewis, incredible author, thinker, wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. Now listen to what he says here. Listen to what he says. Let me implore the reader to try to believe, if only for a moment, that God who made these deserving people may really be right when he thinks that their modest prosperity, hello, and the happiness of their children, uh-oh, are not enough to make them blessed. That's the American dream right there. That all this must fall from them in the end. Why? And if they have not learned to know him, they will be wretched, miserable. And therefore, he troubles them. 
Who troubles them? God troubles them. Warning them in advance of an insufficiency that one day they will have to discover. What are they going to discover? That life to themselves and their family stands between them and the recognition of their need. He makes that life less sweet to them. So follow that Epicurean philosophy of life. The end goal is pleasure. Get, get, get. Achieve, achieve, achieve. Capture everything I possibly can. Get all the coins in Super Mario World. And at the end of the day, what happens? Am I happy? Mm -mm. C.S. Lewis says it so pointedly. God will make that life less sweet to them. Why? Because he's preparing. He's preparing them for himself. If God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms. But he is not proud. C.S. Lewis says he stoops to conquer. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him and come to him because there is nothing better now to be had. There may not be a silver lining in your suffering. I, I, I don't know how to break the difficult news to you. I have hope. We preached on hope back in December. You need to go back and listen to hope from the Christian perspective is the confident expectation that the best is yet to come. And I'm hoping for you. But I gotta tell you, my hope is not necessarily in those circumstances. My hope is in Jesus for you. So there's purpose in your pain today. And what's the purpose? Again, listen to me. Don't put it up yet, Bob. What's the purpose? One, one, one liner, the one liner is not gonna change your life today. But maybe it'll help you begin to process that what is happening to you is always related to what God wants to do in you. What's happening to you, your suffering is always related to what God wants to do in you. But listen to me, suffering is unbearable. If you're not convinced that God is for you and with you, Tim Keller said, while Christianity was able to agree with pagan writers that inordinate attachment to earthly goods can lead to unnecessary pain and grief. In other words, he's saying, the philosophy of life that grab everything you can will not make you happy. It, it cooperates with what Christianity also says. says he says, but Christianity is also taught that the answer to this was not to love things less. Listen to me. I'm not telling you to love things less today. Tim says, but to love God more than anything else. Only when our greatest love is God, a love that we cannot lose, even in death, listen to what he says, can then we face all things with peace. Grief was not to be eliminated, but seasoned and buoyed up with love and hope. Paul got this. Paul understood this. Paul lived in obscurity most of his life. Obscure places on the road to somewhere else. A lot of his time he spent in prison. When he died, they said he's an egotistical maniac. When he died, when he died, very likely, according to Roman tradition, his body was probably left to be eaten by dogs. You're like, yeah. But 2,000 years later, 
Listen, we're in church and we learn from Paul. Paul instructed us about suffering. That's our perspective, hindsight 2020. Listen to me, Paul didn't have that perspective. Paul didn't, Paul didn't get a chance to see 2,000 years later to see, okay, that's it. Yet the scripture says, the scripture says that Paul understood he was chosen by God for something greater. And he was able to press on. Why? He knew that whatever was the purpose, God had chosen him. He says, Romans 8, 18, I'm almost done. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul learned that suffering was a gift. And the gift was this, it was that God was wooing. Through his suffering, God was wooing Paul to himself. Why? Because that's where comfort can be found, 1 Corinthians 1.5. Why? Because that's where hope resides, Romans 8.25. Why? Because he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds, Psalm 147.3. Why? Because he saves those who are crushed in spirit, Psalm 34.18. The gift is that God is wooing us to himself. I have a three-year-old son, and I want to close with this. And we had two kids before him, and we were very intentional about the names that we gave them. And, and we named our third child Roman. This Roman was strong, and we didn't know yet, but we said, you know, this, maybe this will be who, his strong kid, and that's who he is. In fact, he's destructor strong at times. When we first moved to Burbank, uh, we moved into a house that had just one little flight of stairs that goes up to our master bedroom and everything else is a ranch level. But we first moved to Burbank, Roman was one. And I'm in the bedroom where the stairs are, Laura's somewhere else in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, we hear bam, 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 bam. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. Oh, no. So I take off. I'm in the back. I take, boom, I take off. Laura and I meet in the middle. Boom. We get to Roman. Strong. We get to Roman. This is what he's doing. No tears. Just, oh, my gosh. Wow. I don't think that's supposed to happen. Like, I, I imagine that's what his one-year-old mind would say. I don't think this was supposed to happen. Now listen to me, that was two years ago. To this day, Roman still understands that experience. You know how I know? Because there are times when I stand at the top of those stairs and he's there with me, and he will not go down until he does this. You know what a loving father does? A loving father reaches out to his son. Says, son, I'll walk with you. You know what my child has learned? That even in the potential for suffering, he can trust me. He can trust his mother. He knows that we're gonna be there 
when that difficulty comes, he knows I'm gonna hold his hand. He knows his mother is gonna wipe his eyes and his tears. He knows we will be there and we've been there a lot. He got ran over by his sister who was learning to ride a bicycle and had to go to the emergency room. Mom and dad were there. He knows we're gonna be there to hold your hand. Psalm 73, 23 says, yes, I am always with you. You hold me by the right hand. Listen to me, in your walking with God, in your walking with God, you are that child. You are that child. My pain causes me to reach for the Father's hand when I'm in the midst of it. But when I'm not in the midst of it, I forget that his hand is there. Some of you have forgotten today, his hand is there and it's not disappeared, it is not gone, it is there and he's reaching for you. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, and listen to me, you can rest in the fact that God chose you. And when life gets hard, when life gets hard, you believe that God is working something mighty in you. And when life seems unfair, you believe that God is preparing you. And you've got to cling to that promise that God is going to be faithful to you, just like he was faithful to Paul. And so when suffering comes, you can declare, just as Paul declared, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you're suffering today, he's wooing you to himself. And he will hold you up. Now listen, some of you have walked through a season in your life and I'll make a promise to you, we are not downplaying the difficulty, the extraordinary difficulty you've walked through. And you need more help than a 30-minute sermon can just spark your interest and remind you, yeah, that's where I am at, Pastor. And I want to say to some of you who are in that situation, a 30-minute sermon, even if you go back and listen to the podcast a hundred times, may not be all the help you need. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to give you two resources. And they're not going to solve all the problems today either, but they're going to point you in the right direction and begin the journey with you. The first is a book written by Tim Keller. It's on the screen. And that book is called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And in the book, Tim parallels, Tim's a pastor in New York City. He just retired recently, but he pastored an incredible congregation there of 20s and 30s, young singles, young families. He understands what you're going through. In that book, he journals and chronicles what cultures throughout history and how they have dealt with pain and suffering. Then he says, this is how Christianity deals with pain and suffering. And then he practically tries to give some help in that journey. I want to commend that to you. Order that book on Amazon today. Secondly, some of you may need professional help and near is, I don't know why. Counseling sometimes has this sort of shame to it and it should not. There's no shame in raising your hand. Sometimes there's a stigma to it because we're like, Somebody stepped on my toe. It's easier to, it's easier to say, uh, my toe hurts because somebody stepped on it than to say, there's something inside here that nobody else knows about and to acknowledge that. But listen, I want to say to you, if that's you today and you need help, would you do me a favor? Just email me. 
We have certified biblical counselors in our church, but they cannot even remotely handle the need that we have. We have a list of 10, 11, 12 pages worth of professional counselors in our city that we just like to refer you to. That's you today. I want you to take advantage of that. I want to pray for us. We're going to sing one more song and we'll be done today. God, thank you for your promise. God, it's with gratitude in our hearts that we can acknowledge, Lord. We didn't even touch on the idea that you're a God who is not unaware of pain and suffering. You took on flesh, became as humanity, and experienced pain and suffering to the nth degree, and Scripture testifies to it. A man of sorrows. God, thank you that you are that type of God. You know it. You've been through it. And therefore, when we suffer, we are sharing in your sufferings. Jesus, today, I pray that you'd help us. Help us in this journey. God, help us in our suffering and our grief and our pain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.